0: are you ready ready to transform your life and
1: step into the person that you say you want to be ready to stop talking and start doing i'm Ange, a health and fitness coach and i'm ashley a reiki master and energy healer and we are here to help you do exactly that and you're busy we get that because we are too but even with the challenges and chaos you deserve and can live a life full of absolute joy happiness and purpose We want you to join us in taking radical responsibility
0: so that you can take everything in your life to that next level. Have the best sex of your life. Live in a body that you love. Let go of worry and stress.
1: And live in total alignment. Your happier, healthier, and amazing life is waiting for you. Let's get into today's episode.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Transform Your Life Podcast today we have an extra special guest joining us. Heather, welcome to our podcast. How are you? There
2: we go. We're literally going out and coming back in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> this is this is going to be a trip. This is going to be fun. <clears throat>
0: I said uh, before you had came into today's conversation, Heather. I was saying to Ashley that because we're recording on a Friday. There tends to just be things on Mondays and Fridays that kind of
1: influence us as entrepreneurs, right?
2: Totally, yeah, it can get wacky for sure,
1: in addition to that, Heather, and just with your background, and we're going to dive into all the magical things that you do, but one thing that Angela and I have experienced I experienced this in the bunkie, I've experienced it on retreats is when you're dealing with higher frequencies and different energies, things tend to technologically shift or they like to mess with the frequencies and just kind of so I would say it's I think it's interesting just knowing your background here and having a look through your bio and everything that it makes sense that as our guides join us and as our spirits and everybody's here with us that there tends to be a little bit more technical technical difficulties would you say that you experienced that on your end or um, not as much
2: no, for sure. Oftentimes like if I'm leading and a training, it it it's it's a training that happens on Zoom. So oftentimes if there's a lot of delay or people getting like popped out of the Zoom room, other ways that it can show up by just people just not being able to connect and join. What I'll oftentimes do is I'll just take a pause and I'll just ask my assistant to just just do a whole clear static distortion and interference, just so that we can get a clear palette and and then we go from there. It happens actually a lot in in my experience and and I think how I kind of attribute that to is just when it, it's like a moth to a flame when you when you have a, a group of people that are gathering together and and the energy between everyone has beautiful light to it then frequencies get curious and they start to move in and they and they they want to know what's going on and so the more that that starts to dance together then sometimes it attunes and sometimes it just gets really cacophone.
1: Um, what a perfect way to start. So welcome, Heather. We're so excited Thanks. to have you here. Tell us a little bit about you. You've mentioned the Akashic teachings that you do. And some of the other things that maybe you're diving into are the things that you're offering. And just for our audience as well, maybe just breaking down what exactly that is some of our listeners will for sure um, have heard perhaps some of the terminology that you're going to be using, but for some listeners, it may be brand new. So if we could have a little bit of a definition before we kind of dive into each thing, that would be wonderful.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm very much a lover of the unknown. I love to have conversations on consciousness and leaning that into sort of the space between so how we have like this human existence that we're experiencing but then we have a divine connection that we want to be a part of and where I spend a lot of my time is is in the space in between that so how can we take the things that feel sometimes put on a pedestal or far reaching or not a part of this human experience that we're having and how can we bring it into a way that is relatable and meaningful and practical and helpful in our everyday life that we're that we're doing here when we're on air. So that's kind of like if if I just really zoom out completely and open the aperture and that's kind of the heartbeat of what I love to do is have conversations on consciousness and how it applies to our daily life. So then the modalities that I do that with is in the past, I used to work mostly as a yoga teacher. And then I just had a desire to be able to go deeper with people that that like an hour yoga class just doesn't provide. And I also wanted to be able to connect with people that don't do asana. So it felt like a little bit of a cage that I was in. So the Akashic Records gave me a way to kind of keep the line of the yogic thread and then branch into a way that could invite more people in. And even most recently, I'm even finding the cage within that. Like it's almost like we build ourselves up and then we burn it down and we build up and burn down. So I'm even trying to find ways to navigate out of people referring to me as only an Akashic record guide because when we go into that training, it's it's really a lot more than than just how to read the records when we get in there together. So I have like a monthly member mentorship portal that people can come into. I do the Akashic training. I still do retreats. And then people can just book just an Akashic session with me if they want to as well.
0: I have no what idea what Akashic is. <laughs> I, yeah, I was watching your Instagram and then you were explaining something about the Incarnation Cross and then it made me think of human design. And I don't know if there is like some connection with human design and also with Akashic. records. But just for the person that's listening, that's like, I have no idea what she's talking about. Can we break that down?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, Akasha is a Sanskrit word that means spirit or space. And so when I take that those two words and I look at them, space for me relates directly to the quantum field, it's the study of everything. So, and space is in everything. So, Akasha is sort of the non-spiritual terminology or the spiritual terminology for quantum physics. And then for people that are more spiritually based, it it means spirit. It directly translates to the word spirit. So spirit to me is also everywhere and it's a form of consciousness. So akasha can be translated to the person who's atheist and wants to stick to the science and do quantum physics. And the, the person who's more interested in the spiritual realm, then you can call it consciousness. And so akasha would be like the overarching umbrella that encases everything, as does consciousness in space. And then someone's Akashic records is like the GPS signal or like the radio frequency that dials into your specific DNA blueprint of your soul. And within that, it contains all the information of your soul's history in this lifetime, and if you're open to it, past lifetimes, and then even future potentials that are available to it. And So that alone is a lot of information, and then if you take down even just this particular lifetime that we're in, how the how the the I'm I'm not a scientist, but but how the quantum will work with it is that every action, thought, behavior, pattern, it has a vibrational frequency to it, and it goes into the atmosphere that's around us. So your akashic records hold all of those vibrational frequencies. So if I go and open up Angela's akashic records. If it's not filtered in some way, it's just a lot of noise because it's so much information there. So how I think of it is some people think of it as personas, like the Akashic keepers. They think of it in a persona form as like regulating and filtrating the information that comes through. I I lean into more the, the understanding of it being frequencies. So there's frequencies that sort of filter in. What what wants to be revealed in that moment in relationship to their Kashic records, and then I'm just following the breadcrumbs through the reading as we go through it together. Does that make how sense?
1: How do you do that? Tell me, like, how how does a reading go? Like how oh. does
2: it happen. Yeah, so so it's two questions there that, that I'm hearing in, in your question. So one is like, how do you read the records and then how does a session go? So how a session goes for me, it's different for everyone because it's, it's personal to the person that's doing the reading. I love to start with a grounding and centering before we start. Then I have a mantra that I use to just banish. And when I'm banishing, I think of it more as just like clearing the palate, a little bit like the ginger after the wasabi, like just really clearing the palate so that we have a focused point of view that we can gather into. Then I have a mantra to open the records. And then once I open someone's records, I love to just sit in their frequency and just share with them how their frequency feels because everyone has a different frequency, a different signature within their records. And then from there, it becomes very organic. So if the individual has come in And they've got, you know, four or five questions that they want to or topics that they want to tackle, we can go that way. Sometimes the records will kind of take us in a certain direction, and people are happy to just follow along with the 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 stream of consciousness that's coming through. And so we roll in that way. And I mean, specifically, I, I work a lot with people that are either aligning with their purpose and they want to grow and expand it even further or they are trying to hunt for how to align with their purpose and, and get more direction with how to work with that. So I really work with present moments. Some people work with the Akashic Records as like past life regression, and they go into a lot of past lives with people. But I really love to work just how I, I naturally fit into it. It's present moment. Let's get intimate about what it is that, that you're genius at and how can we amplify that and make it more fulfilling for you. And then, but I do get all the other randoms. Like some people come in with physical ailments that they want that they just can't figure out the doctors can't figure it out. No, so sometimes I end up working with that. It's not something I'm super comfortable with. Makes me feel a little bit like a Baptist minister and I don't (laughs) like that feeling. But there and some people come in with relationship stuff that they want to work through, relationships with, with parents or or others. And some people just want more light, more love. Like how how can I access this more? So that's how a session will run for me. And then how I read and how I teach people in the training to read is that everyone has abilities, just like everyone has chakras. And so <clears throat> I work with four main clairs. I don't let it get too complicated. So I work primarily with sentient, which is your feeling, cognizance, which is your inner knowing, clairaudio, which is hearing, and then voyant, right? So the, the the inner seeing. And I will someone who's coming into a training and a lot of people come in and they want to do it, but they don't think that they can read the records. So the easiest way for me to play with that with someone is to just read and identify what their clarabilities are. And so once we know what someone's clarabilities are, then that's your that's your key into being able to access and read the records. You're gonna you're gonna train your sentient, your inner feeling to be able to sense and feel when you open up the records what's coming through. And then It's just a matter of practicing and massaging and, and making it like turning the volume up or turning the volume down, depending on the individual, but it's through the Claire's. That's how, that's how I read. That's how I teach people to read. Yeah.
1: Incredible. Mm -hmm. And you do trainings. So you train people to actually do Do it. it as well. Yeah.
2: Well, one of my bigger like sort of pieces is I, I, I have a real heartbeat with like demystifying consciousness I, I get irritated with the pretentiousness of spirituality and how some people have it and some people don't. So when I first started doing readings, right away, I could tell that I'm placing myself in a position where someone's kind of handing themselves over to me to be able to access and read their their soul's blueprint. And if that's what someone wants, because they're not interested in anything else, then fine, I can roll with that. But it became clear quite quickly for me. Same with yoga. Like I, I was doing teacher trainings pretty early on in, in when I was teaching yoga. It's just, I, I have like just a strong teacher in me. So the reason why I love teaching the trainings is to just really take away the, the mystery and how we kind of make it magical. I mean, it is magical and beautiful and miraculous, but it's not unattainable. It's not far reaching. And so that's like kind of a bigger mission I have is if someone's interested and they want to learn That's all I need to know to be able to work with them. And then we go from there. It's a lot of fun.
1: I love it. What I'm hearing is there's just no ego when it comes to teaching, because I teach Reiki and some other modalities as well. And the more healers, the better, right? As soon as your ego gets in there and it's, I, I need to be the only one who does this, you, you're not as far along maybe as you think you are if that's the case because really if we are all one the more people we have moving through this into consciousness you know the, the better the better we will all be and so I think that's really beautiful that you pinpointed that as taking that pretentious holier than thou self-righteous route, and just kind of like bringing it back down to
2: we all have this ability and I think that's beautiful. Yeah, and, and and maybe you can relate to it, Ashley. But I mean, part part of for myself, it's really important for me to know what lane I'm in, and so where I tend to find the most amplification with with myself and and the work that I do is working with people that are wanting to grow and expand. Now, where my path is not is in those crisis trauma moments when people are really in the the first stages of trying to heal or the first stages of recognizing that this isn't what I want and how can I start to release some of the patterns and belief systems that I have and really starting to get the wheels turning. So what I love is that there's people that come into the training that are those workers. So I get the opportunity to kind of Fire up and and open up the light worker in that way, and then they go into their craft, and it's just this ripple effect. They go into their craft and they start feeding it in their own signature way, and they're on the front lines working with the people that are in the first stages of working with trauma and and whatnot. And so it's just the more like I love how you're using the word ego, and 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 I think the other thing is just being more honest with like what lane am I in, and recognizing that I can't access everyone. So why not get more people doing what we're doing and let them feed it out in the way that they feed it out.
1: Yeah. That makes so much sense to me because as you're saying these things, I'm like, I would love to do this. This is amazing. This sounds fantastic in the work that I do as a Reiki healer, a Reiki practitioner, is there's a lot of downloads that come through. Right. And so to be able to channel those in a, in a way that you're
2: describing sounds
1: Sounds powerful.
2: Yeah, and there's a lot of Reiki practitioners that will come into Akashic training. I get doctors, I get real estate agents, I get chiropractors, I get a lot of therapists. And so one of the things that's beautiful about the Akashic records is that it can be, it's like an adaptogen. You can apply it to some other modality that you have and just amplify it in some way, shape or form. So for example, the, the therapists that come in Although they're doing really, really good work, they're aware of how slow their their form of frequency is. And so they're looking for a way to take talk therapy and blend it with an energetic modality so that they can support people in a a faster healing process, right? And so same as you, like the, the Reiki practitioners that come in, it's one form of energetic work. But then when you combine it with Akashic readings, it just gives people the opportunity to create a combo effect in their sessions. So people will do either Reiki with them or Akashic, or they can do even a blended session where you do maybe 45 minutes of Reiki. And then as the records are open and the energy is flowing, then they then they they move to a more sit-down conversation and they start sharing with them what's showing up in their Akashic records. So it's nice in that way that it's not competitive it's it's an adaptogen to whatever other vocation or profession that people have that they can apply it with. And it's neat to see the people that come in. Like a real estate agent will use that to energetically clear houses that aren't selling so that they can flip houses at a faster rate. It's really cool. The sky's the limit.
0: I love it. I love it. And really, really curious, Heather, as you're talking here, how in the world did you get into this? Like, what was your yeah. little girl Moving through teenage years, moving through the 20s, the 30s, how in the world did you end up to this particular spot right now?
2: Couldn't have seen it as most people, like you can't really see it until you're there kind of thing. So I'll I'll share it. I always share it in the same way. I'll share it in a different way today because you kind of get bored telling the same story over and over. So I grew up in a house where I had two older brothers, very dominant masculine energy, excellent parenting, but didn't see a lot of emotion growing up. So I was heavy into the masculine, then I, then I fed that into, we also grew up in, in going, to, going to church every Sunday, and, I, and there was a part of me that enjoyed the quiet of that space, but then there's a part of me that could really see the fictitiousness of it at the same time, right? And so I was drawn to spirituality and consciousness. I, wouldn't, I didn't even think I had the languaging for spirituality at the time. I was just drawing to something bigger than me, but I knew it wasn't in the form of religion. <clears throat> excuse me. And then, in university, I, I went away to university for my first year and very quickly was not managing very well. So I had a friend of mine suggest that we do a meditation class together just to help with the the stresses of university. So that was sort of my first intro to a formalized training of some sort. From there, I was still deep into the masculine. So I headed into, I I finished university, but wasn't really interested in, in applying my degree. It was more like I was just finishing the thing that I started. And so I gravitated into forest firefighting, which was with like a repelling unit, a very specific form of forest firefighting. Not many women in it. Sometimes I would show up on a base, and I'd be like the Smurfette of like sixty men on a base, and so it was super, super masculinized to the point where I would even stop having my period just because I was so heavy into the the masculine. And then I also river guided, which is also quite a lot of guys do that as well. So it's almost like I went so heavy into the this one form that that I was completely kicked into the opposite. Um, I don't know if it's self-preservation or not, but there was a point in my second year of firefighting where I was like, this is not working for me anymore. Something has to give. And a friend of mine had given me a book because when you're working forest firefighting, you have to stay, this particular unit, you have to stay within 100 feet of the machine from 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. when you're on hire because if there's a smoke, you just got to go. So whatever you can do, Within that 100 feet, you can do, but that's where you have to be for 12 hours a day. So we're doing everything possible, hacky-sacking and all the things. And so I self-taught myself how to to do yoga. The guys that I was working with were super lovely and keen, so they wanted me to teach them. And then as I was teaching them, I was like, I actually really kind of like this. So when I, that fall, went into a yoga teacher training, I'd never been in a formalized studio before. This was before they were on every corner like 7-Eleven Street. Like this was like there's one or two in the Vancouver area in Canada at the time. So never been in a studio before, never done a formalized class with other people other than myself. So I was totally thrown into the feminine. And I was having a laugh with someone the other day where I was sharing that like the 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 extreme that I was experiencing. So I'd go to I go into the yoga teacher training and it was like all women, all the Lycra, all vegan, all full of thank yous and I'm sorrys and, and let's hug and all the things. And I had such a frictional temperament with it. It was not my jam at all. And I mean, talking about everything, like, you know, anyways, yeah. So what I would do when I would walk home to my apartment at night, I'm I would notice myself fantasizing about beating people up and f-bombing my whole way home just to manage that energy that was just not working for me. And so this is where I TikToked for a long time. Like I loved the yoga realm, but I would have these very cathartic masculine balances to 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 make it so that I could be in that space. And I'm I'm telling a long story, I'm sorry. And then to get to the Akashic place. So so this was my realm for 20 years. Teaching yoga, doing retreats, all the rest of it. Last sort of five years or so, I was starting to get hungry for something deeper, but I didn't know what it was. And then when COVID hit, studio shut down. My husband's aviation. We met in in the fire realm, so both of us were out of work instantaneously. So he was great for just managing the kids, and I would get extra time to go and meditate and. and And be in my own self care practice. And then it was through that that I got a hit in meditation to reach out to a woman that I knew from my childhood, but I wasn't sure why I was reaching out to her. And when I did, she was like, Well, I do Akashic sessions. Do you wanna have one? Now, even though I've been in yoga for 20 years, I'd only heard of the Akashic records a a couple of times. It wasn't something that was in my field at all. But then through that session, she was able to identify that I I'd work with the records unconsciously all the time. And if I wanted to bring it into more of a consciousness, she was willing to support me in that. So it was very quick. I did like part one is learning how to read your own records. And then instantly I went into part two, learning how to read other people's records. And then almost like feeling a little bit like arrogant. Because this is months in between these these parts, I'm reaching out to her and being like, I actually think I should be teaching this. And I I hope that doesn't come across as, you know, disrespectful, just that maybe it takes a long time to do it. She was super gracious and lovely. And so within like six months of finishing the part three and learning how to teach the records, I was offering trainings. And to this day, it's like the easiest, most fluid thing for me to fill. So I wasn't hunting for it, didn't really know what it was. Even when I was aligning with it and choosing to do it, I wanted to call it something else because I didn't think people would know what the Akashic Records was. So I was trying to come up with all these different names, like quantum healing and energy, like I was putting all these labels to it. And then finally my teacher was like, you know what, call it what it is. Because when you start to do this, it's going to go international and people are going to need to know how to to find you and to know what it is that you do. That's exactly what happened. I live in a very small town. My yoga relationship has always been within like a 300 kilometer radius of where I live. And then as soon as I went into the Akashic Records, it's it, majority of people come from the US and Europe and even Asia to come into the training. So it found me and I still have a little bit of a push-pull relationship with it, to be honest. When you say push-pull, tell me more. The The part of me that, so it's interesting, people sort of assume that when you do something long enough that the inner skepticism kind of goes away, there's still a part of me that when I'm reading someone's records, there's moments that I have where I'm like, am I reading the records or am I just imagining reading the records? Am I reading the records or am I saying what I'm saying because I was just in conversation on something similar the other day? So I'm still kind of, and, and I love the skeptic because I think it keeps us very honest it keeps us very integral to what it is that we're doing. So there's still a part of me, like, like you know, I had my agent shared with me the other day. She's like, you know, there's this interview that's coming through. And just so you know, he's sharing with me that he's willing to interview you, but he doesn't know if he actually believes in the records or not. Do you still want to do the interview? I'm like, well, I'm in the same boat. So let's let's do it. And so there is still that part of me that has that push pull. The push pull also comes in just in an egoic way of just constantly reminding myself to just own like spiritual mentor that's that's a bit of that's that's how I call myself just so that people when people say what do you what do you call yourself as but I'm aware of that languaging and that that power that it has and to to really make sure that I keep that very sacred and to not step out of my light by being like no 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 it's not true but also not being so full that I'm like I'm all-knowing, which I'm not. So there's that push-pull of just like, how big, how full, how much, and still maintaining the balance of, I'm in a human form, and we don't know. It sounds
1: almost like wanting to be truthful and honest with what it is that you're capable of, but also remaining humble and recognizing that you yourself are not God you are, and this is something that I work with, with a lot of my students as well as reminding and remembering always, we're the conduit, right? You're the reader. You're not the actual record, right? And the being able to be the bridge between those two things, I think is, it's beautiful, but it's that reminder of I'm. I am big. I am powerful. I am wonderful as who I am and who I'm here to be, and the gifts and the talents and the skills that have been bestowed upon me. And
2: yet, I'm just like you, hundred percent. Yeah. So that humanity piece has to be there, and I think where where I'm, you know, just kind of pulling. So, so humility is such a tricky word for me, and I've I've exiled it for so long because. For so long, I associated humility with unworthiness, and I and 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 I've I've played a lot over the years with reconciling the the parts of me that were feeling unworthy. And so, anytime you go into religion or spirituality, there's this component of being humble that comes with it. And so, up until recently, humble to me was almost like a, a negative word because I, I would have I would associate it with the and we're like, oh, I'm so not worthy. I'm so not worthy. I'm so humble. I'm so not worthy. And it didn't resonate for me. And then it's in in like the last month, I would even say it's it's really kind of transformed itself into a more pure form of for me now. The humility is simply the I don't know space, and I'm very comfortable being in the I don't know, but let's see where we go, or I don't know, but let's figure it out together, or I don't know, and I don't think we're ever going to know. That to me is totally fine. And so the 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 humility component has now been taken out of its exile that I put it in because I didn't know what to do with it. And now it's 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 like a fractured part of myself that's back into the wholeness and just being like, oh, humility is simply I don't know. Not I'm not worthy. And and there's there's a there's a nuance there that I think we need to be careful of when we play with it. And I love that you're talking about how it's a bridge. It's it's absolutely a bridge. And we like what an honor to be a bridge. Between yourself and the field, or a bridge between the field and someone else, and that is an incredibly sacred space that oftentimes gets abused.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm just as as you explain what you're doing, and I think of what Angela does with human design and the things that I do with Reiki. What I what I'm unveiling, I suppose, in my own eyes or before myself is how desperately or how much people are craving knowing themselves so deeply. right? I feel like with with what I do and Angela with human design, when people unpack their soul, they feel this lightness. They feel this like, oh my goodness, I know who I am now. And the world is craving so much of that right now. And I think it's the way that you do that, Heather, and the way that you do that, Angela, I think are just Beautiful modalities of being able to give that back to people because there is this, it's the same with psychic or mediumship, or people are just dying to know who they are, why they're here, what their purpose, why their soul is here, and what they're actually supposed to do with that people are craving this this knowing of their soul purpose they're craving this understanding of their truth and what that means and i think we're moving away from this linear path which was therapy like you got to go to therapy you got to heal the trauma and now we can like get back to living our mundane lives i feel like people are searching and they're reaching out and they're finding more practitioners who are just leading them back to who they are. And it's that remembering of why they're here. Would you say Mm -hmm. that you experienced that,
2: both of you? Go ahead, Angela.
0: What's actually coming forward for me is your perspective, I believe, is a little bit different, Heather, in that I believe that you think that your soul's purpose or your incarnated purpose is fluid and changing and evolving and not necessarily just one thing, but potentially multiple things and potentially, yeah, potentially not just on one path. So I'm curious to know your perspective in relation to that. I would say, Ashley, from my perspective with human design and that lens, I feel as though, yes, a lot of people are craving that. And especially because a lot of the women, and men that I work with are coming from that fitness space. And I think that they're realizing that yes, there is one way in which they might be able to move through their health and fitness journey. But there's also so many other ways. And I think the integration with human design allows the person that I'm working with to really understand themselves, but also to uniquely move through health and fitness in a way that feels really supportive for them. I think that COVID and kind of that time to go inwards had a lot of us really look at our lives and the lives of those that are close to us and really take inventory of that. And I think that COVID was a very interesting shakeup for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I agree with both your points. I don't know if there's much more that I would add to it. I, I think that they're both really, really on point. And the human design. I work a little bit with Emma Dunwoody. I don't know if you know her out of Australia. So she's. I played with her a little bit, and and one of the pieces that she speaks to that that I love that you're calling in is like is like when when you start to so you come into this container of the human design. And correct me if I'm wrong, because this isn't my my area of expertise. But when you come into the container of human design, you th- there there can be the potential of of feeling like there's labels and, and categories that you're falling into and you feel yourself being a little bit caged. But then if you stay long enough in that realm and start to understand it and integrate it, then you get kind of past that point and you start to see that there's qualities of of all the elements of human design that potentially are existing in you. And, and just because you might be manifesting generator doesn't mean you can't experience life from the other angle that other categories have. And so it becomes actually freeing rather than confining. Right. And so that's the same sort of way that I look at purpose, but I, and how, and and how it kind of hit me with, like with the explanation point was someone asked me once after I shared, like, you know, my journey of how I came into the Akashic records. And when I was done, she was like, so do you feel like you're, you finally arrived in your own purpose? And my response was, I've always been on purpose. What I was doing in my 20s, teaching yoga 15 times a week, that was on purpose for me at that time based on the space that my soul was at in that moment. And then as my soul continued to grow and expand into my next becoming, my purpose adapted with me or vice versa I adapted with it and so it now feels 100% that I'm on purpose and I bet you this will be another point that I look back to if I have the privilege of living for another 20 years where I'm like totally felt like I was on on purpose on point when I was 45 but now that I'm 65 I'm doing this now and this totally feels like it's on purpose so it's not so much that it's like you know jumping ships all the time when as our like as a as our purpose gets to be fluid it's not so much that we're totally changing changing lanes like i i'm not a tech person i can't relate to people through technology i'm not i'm not a an astronaut i i can appreciate astrology but i don't get astrology so my purpose isn't in those realms but my purpose is connecting with people and aligning with people who are interested in learning about consciousness. And so that form of my purpose evolves as I evolve, but I'm not changing lanes. And all of a sudden my purpose is to go and be a horse whisperer. It's not, it doesn't jump like that. Right. So, so it is fluid, but it's, it's fluid within a container. Just how like the bottom of the ocean is the container for the ocean, but it's, it's fluid. It has some, a little bit of fluidity to it. If it's so rigid, then it'll start to crack and leak. It has to have a little bit of ability to have some movement in it. I hope that makes sense. It does.
1: I think the the thing that I take from that too is it's it's about following the alignment. It's about following the joy. It's about following the expansion. And when it does feel rigid, when it starts to feel concrete and stuck and like it's maybe not the best fit, that's your cue to start evolving into what's next, not to say that it's, you know, your purpose is changing completely, maybe it is, but that you're actually evolving into the next step or the next part of the path. And would you say that that's more of, it's more of an evolution. And I think when people talk about their soul's purpose, I think what they're recognizing is where they are right now feels disconnected it feels off path. It feels like they don't have purpose and they don't know who they are and they're craving that next thing. And it's they're in that discomfort and that's what's supposed to move us into that purpose. Whether you've never felt it before, you've always kind of been going against what feels aligned for you, maybe, and it maybe feels like, oh my goodness, I've never been on purpose. That is, you're just... It, you it's moving out of that discomfort and into the next flow do you say that that's what you're what you're speaking of
2: yeah and 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 as you're speaking like creating relationship with the uncomfortableness is one of the the hardest and also most profound things that that i've experienced i remember going through a time in life where my relationship with my husband was complacent so i decided to leave and in that time, it was like every single component of my world had something going on that I that I that was chaotic. So I was going through changes in in my work and, and the people that I was collaborating with that was disintegrating. My kids fortunately were in a space where so as that's disintegrating, I, I didn't know what to do with my next move with work. So it was like, this is all falling apart. I'm not sure where to go. So I can't throw all my attention into work right now. And then my marriage was having its thing going on. So I'm like, I, I can't put all my attention into here because it's I don't know if it's if we're going to get back together or not get back together. So that was like in like sort of a, a pause. My kids at the time fortunately were doing really well. So I'm like, oh, I can't just throw myself into motherhood and be the best mom of the world because they're all at the age where they were like coming into their independence. And so I had no choice. But to just go inside because.